I'm Whitney. I'm Mindy. And I'm Deb. We're three best friends who love nerdy things. Well, some people think we're nerdy, but we think we're pretty awesome. This is our nerdiest thing. Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to Our Nerdiest Thing. Today, we are continuing our conversation about Midnight Mass on Netflix, episodes four, five, and six. Of course, this is spoiler-friendly and spoiler-heavy, so listen at your own risk. Before- <laughs> it does sound ominous when I say it like that. Listen with care. Uh, listen with eyes wide open. Deb, will you please do our nerdiest cocktail? Yes. This week's cocktail is named Bev's Compound 1080, and it's themed after Bev being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this drink pairs well with misusing scripture references, ugh, devastating character deaths, and seeing Bev get killed, and it may cause <laughs> justice for Joe and Riley. Yay. Yay. It's quite delicious. It's got apple-infused vodka in it. What, what brand was that, Whitney, so people can uh, Absolute. It? Yeah, it's really, really good. It is really good. You yes. put cinnamon bitters in there and a splash of club soda. So, I mean, it doesn't even have a lot of ingredients. It's really no. tasty. And it's clear, just like Compound 1080. <laughs> oh, man, here we go. <laughs> Whose turn is it to do the nerdy and dirty recap? That would be you, Whitney. Oh, this is going to go great. It sure will. <laughs> this is going to be a 15-minute recap instead of a one-minute one. It's almost done. <laughs> and then they like go on an island and there's a vampire. Oh, man. Here we go. All right. I'm ready. 60 seconds. Here we go. Okay, number one. Father Paul is now just a straight-up vampire. Cannot go into the sun and he is hungry. Number two. Poor Joe Colley. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Run, Joe. Run. The priest eats him. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Number three. Bev is not concerned to find Joe's body and goes into shield and protect mode. Um, Great. Number four. Riley is suspicious about where Joe went and does not trust Father Paul. Number five. Sweet Riley stumbles upon our angel vampire and gets turned. Number six. Riley tells Aaron everything and sacrifices sacrifices himself in the sunlight to protect everybody. Number seven, Aaron and Dr. Sarah team up to figure all of this out and uh, try to leave the island. Number eight, Bev and Sturge have shut down the island basically to trap everyone. Number nine, Easter Mass becomes Vampire Jim Jones Nightmare. Uh, people are turning. Number ten, Aaron, the Sheriff, Riley's mom, Dr. Sarah, and Lisa are on the run. Oh, and also uh, Warren, Riley's little brother. And Aaron shoots Bev in the chest. Dang. <laughs> uh, nice. Bev, you Thank deserved you. it. Yes. Right? It was yeah. so, like, satisfying. satisfying. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, no, she died. Oh, no, look what happened. <laughs> 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 Before we get into all of it, Mindy, will you please do our nerdiest vocabulary? It wasn't as big of a nerdy word as chasable in this section, but. Chasable. <laughs> 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 So I just went with some of the names. I just thought it would be like a quick, you know, little, what do, what do some of these names mean? And some of them are actually pretty apropos. So Riley. They're what? Ap- apropos. Apropos. I don't like, know what that means. Appropriate. appropriate. Like they match. Oh, I was like, apropos. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you slurring your words You're again? like, what? Is it's like super apropos. <laughs> Oh man, okay. this apple, learned, okay. this apple cocktail. Uh, <laughs> this is our nerdy thing. I learned something new today. What's it called? Apropos. Well, it's actually uh, fr- it's a French. Apropos. Apropos. <laughs> this makes sense. Go. Is this Urban Dictionary? This is not Urban Dictionary. Okay. I just wanted to do a quick because there's a lot of names. They're going to be dicks. There's no, no dicks, oh, unless you count that I did Beverly. Uh, well, yeah. Then there's one. So you know what? Oh. we're not even going to give her the. She's not even good enough to be a dick. But wait, till you, <laughs> wait till you hear what her name means, though. Okay, right. <laughs> so Riley, this one I think is a definitely appropriate. It means courageous or valiant. Oh, and since he sacrifices himself, yeah. in place, I thought that was very, very telling. Poor Riley. Aaron means peace. Again, mm-hmm. very appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then I did John and Paul because it's the same person. Yeah. So this kind of applies to him in both ways. So John comes from a Hebrew word that means graced by God, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then Paul means small or humble. No, I don't think that fits. <laughs> but I think he thinks it does. I Oh, yeah. Paul I think, would say he's humble. Well, yeah. I think he called himself Paul because he was reborn on the well, road yeah, to Damascus. Well, yeah, for sure that's what happened. That, that's where he yeah, I know that's where found he got that. The, the angel. 
But you know. there's the preacher kid in you. <laughs> so. I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hassan, which is the sheriff's name, means good or benefactor. Again, appropriate. He is good. Annie, which is Riley's mom, means grace or gift of God's favor, which she gives to Riley. Yeah, that's These true. Are, I, I really feel like yeah. he definitely went to the, the name dictionary here. Ed, which is Riley's dad, means prosperous guardian, wealth, or fortune, which is opposite because they're all like dealing with not having any prosperity anymore. Yeah. So I guess at one point, maybe he was. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Lisa means God's promise or joy, which she definitely brings. Yeah, that's good. And then Beverly means dweller near the beaver stream. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that name kind of sucks and like doesn't have a fun, nice spiritual meaning. Exactly. Or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I, thought, I, I got a great think, kick out of that. I don't even think she should be affiliated with someone's beaver. True. <laughs> She's the worst. <laughs> she really is the worst. Which uh, brings me to my favorite moment, <laughs> which is Aaron killing Bev. <laughs> that was my favorite. Is that all of ours? Because was that yours too? No, yeah. it's not mine. Okay, yeah, it's definitely mine. Yeah, it was just it was very satisfying to watch that happen. I mean, even though you know she comes back to life, so yeah, it's not as but only as for like a minute. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. But I love that Aaron does that. To give them time, buy them time. To She's like, we've got five minutes. Yep, let's do it. Yeah. Well, and I love that too because you know Bev is so horrible and pushing this whole thing forward this entire time, and then when the shit hits the fan, Bev is scared out yes. of her mind and is hiding in the in the back yeah. so that she doesn't get killed that way. Right. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. She's crazy. She is. We'll, we can talk more about it later, but. <laughs> Well, I guess this is the time to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we are here to talk about it. What was your favorite moment? So mine is more of a twist. Uh, my favorite moment is when when Riley is greeted by his ghost peacefully in his death. Yeah, so that was nice. that was it nice. also happens to be my favorite scary scene from the from this list of episodes. Is you know the creator of the show is really good about pivoting quickly from a peaceful scene to a very chaotic scene. Yes. He does this in all of his shows. And whenever you go from Riley smiling at the girl that he's killed to Aaron screaming, I mean, it was gut wrenching. I started crying yeah. as I was watching it. And the sudden change of perspective is just extremely jarring and terrifying. And I felt shaken up for hours after watching the scene. Yeah. So it became my favorite and my scariest. Yeah. That's so funny that you even said the word gut wrenching because that's exactly what I wrote down for my least favorite moment being that that was so hard for me emotionally when she screams and sobs after he dies. And I wrote yeah. exactly. It was, it just was so gut wrenching. So mm -hmm. we had the same sort of visceral reaction to that. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite moments were Riley's death and Joe's death, which I'm really excited to talk about Joe's death with, we're going to have AJ uh, Verena on here next week, our resident vampire expert. Yes. Cause I really want to talk to her about the choice Joe's death specifically, the choice of how gruesome yeah. and brutal it was and just like gross and yeah. visceral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, vampire attacks typically are not like that in supernatural type shows like this, right? Like it's uh, usually biting the neck or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it was rough yeah. and it was difficult to watch, but I thought that it was very, obviously a, a very deliberate choice, right? Like to do it that way. And I would just, I'm really excited to ask her about that, about what kind of lore it might fit into and mm -hmm. why that choice makes sense for a vampire to do that. I just thought that it was an interesting choice to me. My least favorite moment kind of piggybacks off of that. So we've talked a lot about books on this podcast that focus on religious fanaticism. And we know it's a super common theme on this show, right? So my least favorite moment is when after Joe dies, uh, the father tries to convince Riley that murder is okay mm. as long as one has God's grace. Because if you do, God can help clear your conscience, is what he tells him. And I mean, that's really some serial killer reasoning yeah. oh, right there. Yeah. It really is. And the father even, even goes on to explain that even Moses, Joseph, and Paul in the Bible are all murderers, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. So that really... God still uses it. Again, we talked last episode about using scripture to mm -hmm. like be like, no, it's fine. I'm not sure that um, it's okay that they killed people for their No. Record. Well, and yeah. it's very sure. creepy, his mood, like the way right. he delivers like, oh, that. Well, God gave me a clear yeah. conscience. I'm like, no, yeah. I think you're just slowly going insane, my It's love. very nonchalant mm -hmm. how he says it. 
and very flippant. It really is. Yeah. You know, who are you trying to convince, really? Because when you look at him, the moments or hours or whatever after he lets Joe die, he seems pretty horrified by himself, that Father Paul does, you know? And then it takes a little bit of time and some convincing from Bev that it's really okay. Because she's, I think she's the one that's like... You know what she said about Joe? She said it was okay because he's a heathen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so he deserved to die. Yeah, she was like, well, at least it was Joe. It wasn't like the mayor. It wasn't anyone me. Right. It wasn't like Ed Flynn. It was Joe. Like, who cares? Yeah. Joe was really trying to better himself. I know. It's really sad. I know. It's just rough. But one of the other things. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the other things that I was a least favorite moment for me that just really got to me was hearing Aaron recount all the harsh trauma in her past Mm. about the story of the birds clipped wings and how when she asked when her mother's wings were clipped and she replied the day you were born. That was my, that was, I put that down first as my least favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing her mother say that having Aaron ruined her life. She had an abusive ex-husband. And then on top of all that, she loses her baby. Like that woman was put through the ringer. And I just, that was very hard to listen to all that trauma. Well, Mm. the, the thing that was really, I mean, it's always sad when you lose a baby, but the thing in this instance, in the scene where she's talking about her mom saying her wings were clipped, she explains that Aaron explains that her own baby set her free. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And now she, I mean, it's really sad to, when the doctor tells her like, doesn't look like you've ever even been pregnant yeah that was that was rough too that was in the running for one of my least favorite moments of like you know this mainland doctor that doesn't know her history you know dr sarah on the island knows that she was pregnant right like she heard the heartbeat she saw the ultrasound this other doctor didn't and thinks that this woman is having a hysterical pregnancy and and really discounted sarah gunnings for sure well she probably doesn't think she thought she was a hick well she probably doesn't even think that aaron ever saw dr sarah you know what i mean like i think she thinks that aaron is like completely made this up in her head and that dr sarah was never a part of it that was hard to watch um yeah that was rough it's hard when you when you know you're not crazy and that you like this is what happened but other people make you think that you're kind of insane um you know like riley with father paul (laughs) (laughs) riley's like this is super messed up most most actually like insane people don't think they're insane right that was the thing in that whole conversation that you were just talking about with father paul and riley of like you know well god took the guilt from me it's like you know in his in the father's brain there's no way that he could be evil or that he could be psychotic or a sociopath like that's not a possibility because he is a devout priest and he believes in god and he's this really religious guy so it has to be explained in some other way and well that actually it's crazy that actually goes into my biggest revelation and you touched on this when you did your uh 60 second recap uh i mean holy shit the father turns the island into jonestown yeah. yeah, all out of like the name of religion, right? And he convinces everyone to poison themselves so they can be reborn. And those who don't take the poison are attacked by the new vampires and turned anyway. Mm-hmm. They literally start dragging people out of their houses yep. and killing them instead of turning them. And even though the father thinks he's doing good, he creates an environment of extreme violence and just a fight for survival. Like yeah. it, this show becomes, and I mean, is more about the human condition. Sure. The, fucked up things that people think they do for the good of people and when we talk next week i mean the father is a very morally gray character and and really does this for a specific reason for a specific person which is really kind of heartbreaking right but in at this point in the show he's like well yeah everyone just you know poison yourselves and we'll all be enlightened and then we'll go over to the other part of the world and enlighten those people too yeah right yeah so that was i did not like the jonestown of it Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after doing that deep dive uh, <laughs> last, right. last, last season, season, it was yeah. like, oh, this is too. I don't I like, like it. I don't like it. This? Like, <laughs> what was your biggest revelation? Mindy? I mean, aside from that, because I think that's sort of the big, the big reveal. Uh, the sort of a minor one for me was when it was revealed that you know the man in the hat and the coat that Riley had seen and it's been sort of been you know circulating is actually the the quote angel walking around like that and him like revealing that that reveal when he walks in um to get you know to give more blood them all at the back of the church yeah yeah 
that was yeah Yeah. (laughs) that was rough my biggest revelation is with father i'm gonna just keep calling him father paul the first time i watched the show it struck me how good at preaching he was right like he's very charismatic and he's very engaging to listen to and then this is interesting because that's not what priests are going for in a Catholic church. Right. 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 The charismatic thing is definitely a Protestant yes. ideal. A hundred percent. Yeah. This time around though, I, it still struck me that he was engaging to listen to and that everybody, you know, really like latches on to what he's saying. But what really struck me is that the things that he's actually preaching are extremely like anti-biblical <laughs> and the opposite of what the Bible says, right. which I hadn't really like paid that much attention to, I guess the first time, but in episode five in particular, he preaches and it's the the service that Mildred Gunning, Dr. Sarah's mom comes back to. Mm-hmm. And he's basically preaching like God asks us to do really horrible things, but it's okay because he's going to use these things like for his glory is basically what he's preaching. And it's like, okay, the ends justify the means. That's right. basically what you're preaching. And that's not what the Bible says, right? right? Like, yeah. that's you're not which supposed why, to just do whatever because you think God wants you to. Which that's is not why right. Mildred is so appalled by it. Yes. And I loved that moment yes. of her being like, she doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah. And is like, this is not okay. Yeah. This is not right. And I was like, yes, see through him. Well, she knows, she knows that it's Father Pruitt, right? Yeah. And yeah. so she says, like, this is not the man I knew. And yep. that actually, Whitney, it's interesting that you bring this up because that ended up being my favorite quote because of Mm -hmm. Mildred. He ends that sermon with welcome to God's army. We're going to do great things. And it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be positive, but it sent a chill up my spine to see the shock Mm -hmm. on Mildred's mother's face. Cause she's like, wait, you've done all these amazing things for me. And like, wait a second. Something's like super wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love, and she's like the only one she, Riley, and Mildred are the only ones that are like something's off about this and everybody else is just like eating it up. But yeah, it just, it really struck me really listening to the actual Mm -hmm. words that he said. I was very much like that is the opposite of what the Bible talks about. Like you are completely incorrect. And of course everything Bev says is like wrong, wrong, (laughs) wrong, wrong. But I just, it really struck me. What about favorite scary scenes in these three episodes? It's not really so much scary for me, but it was for Bev. When father Paul uses Bev as bait to tempt Riley and oh, show yeah. him that he now craved blood. Like the part that was scary for obviously it's scary for Bev because she's sitting there waiting to be eaten. But uh, for me, it was seeing how that was like the pivotal moment of how unhinged that father Paul had become. Yep. Like I'm going to do this. Cause I mean, it just seems so odd and out there. He's yeah. going to use a human as bait to prove a point. Right. Well, and Bev's like, are you sure? sure? Yeah. <laughs> Is this well, okay and that to do? She, again, she does it like with just one question. Like she questions it once and then does it. No, you know, no questions. You can tell yeah. she's scared shitless. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen her pee her pants. <laughs> but... <laughs> In my mind, it's canon that she does in that last Easter service. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) If peeing your pants is cool, (laughs) Miles Davis. I'm sure she doesn't Uh, listen to Miles Davis. That's demon music. No, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, what what was your favorite scary scene? I touched on it earlier, but it was Aaron's reaction to Riley's death. My favorite scary scene was that whole scene in the boat with mm-hmm. them. Um, right. you know, the second time around watching it, obviously, I know what's going to happen. But the first time I watched it, it was very tense of like okay i thought he was gonna kill her yes i'm like i don't want riley to go full vampire right like i don't want him to be like father paul and embrace all of this right what is he doing right like i want to trust that he's gonna do something good but i'm also afraid he's gonna completely attack aaron and well i love how strong her character is she even says so did you bring me out here to scare me or to hurt me right Right. She just calls him on it. Because yeah. she's like, I'm fucked. Yeah. I don't, I can't right. Go what am I supposed whatever. to do? Yeah. Right. And when at that point, she doesn't believe him anyway. Right. right. He's I mean, got this crazy story. I like that you come to the realization that the sun's coming up right as she does. I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the first time I watched that, I did not understand until it was happening, like what right. his plan was. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, Riley. It made me, he, it reminded me a lot of the Ascended in From Blood and Ash. The people yeah. we talked about last season oh, that yeah. they're forced into being Ascended mm-hmm. and they don't, they're not signed up for it. They don't know what it is. And then they wake up and are just these like vampire creatures. And how, you know, Castile tells Poppy, sometimes people just go out in the sun yeah. and, yeah. and die themselves. because they don't want to live like that. And I'm like, Riley is that person, mm-hmm. right? 
So can I talk a little bit more about Riley because he was my my show MVP? Yeah, I love Riley. The show. So he's seen as the most morally gray character on the island to its inhabitants, at least not to us, the viewers. Yeah. But he actually ends up being the first person who's turned to understand that vampirism isn't a gift from God, like everyone thinks it is. One of my favorite parts of the entire series is the flashback into the conversation with Aaron, where they're speaking of what they think happens when someone dies, like what happens to their Mm -hmm. body. Riley mentions that research shows that the moment right before death, one essentially goes on a hallucinogenic trip, which has actually been shown to be scientifically true in real life, which I did Hmm. not know. And as we watch Riley go into this moment of peace in his death, where he sees the ghost of the girl that he killed, she peacefully takes him into the afterlife, even though his conscious body is literally burning alive. Yeah. So according to the hill.com, a study by the proceedings of the national Academy of sciences, say that three times fast, <laughs> analyze analyze the brain waves of four people who were taken off life support and learned that two of them had brain activity that showed them bursting to life in the final moments before their death. Specifically, the type of brainwave shown actually indicates that they had conscious thought. The production of those brainwaves called gamma rays waves spiked 300% in one patient right before they died. The same researcher also conducted a study with rats to explore the impact of stroke on our sleep and discovered that the brains of the rats displayed a sudden surge of serotonin, a brain chemical deeply enmeshed in the processes of thought and sensing prior to their death which I thought was really kind of cool. And this researcher is the one that Riley is referencing in the show that when he says he believes we drop DMT, which is a psychedelic compound that can actually be made by our bodies right before the end of our life, which I always thought DMTs, they were just an illegal drug, but it's actually something our body can create. Mm. And they don't really know how our body's created or why Why, it decides to, but it's just something that happens. So on the flip side of this, Other researchers have conducted studies that have led them to believe that taking the man-made version of DMT, which is, like I just said, a hallucinogenic compound, it's created by combining two plants, the ayahuasca vine and a shrub called chakruna. And when you combine these and take the man-made version of DMT, it feels the same as what scientists believe it feels like when you die, that hallucinogenic Hmm. effect, right? So one participant in the study reported, quote, My body just didn't seem relevant anymore, and I felt like I arrived in some consciousness soup, which seemed like a different realm to the one I ordinarily inhabit, even in dreams, unquote. The participant could not fully put into her experience, like couldn't put her experience into words, but did remember having an overwhelming feeling of gratitude that she had survived and a strange sense of reassurance about dying when it was over. Hmm. So the dose of DMT used in this study is really a tiny fraction of what can be called a toxic dose. So participants weren't actually on the verge of death. They just felt like they were. And they experienced a feeling known as ego death, which is like being awake and having no sense of personal identity, which is really kind of terrifying. This sounds horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Ego death can be described as a total loss of sense of self, but happens to a person while they're still conscious. And this experience has been reported by many people experiencing intense psychedelic experiences. So, okay, we just said it sounds fucking terrifying, right? Right. (laughs) But participants in the study afterwards say they actually felt better knowing what death might feel like and and i mean i'm just gonna take their word for it yeah it no, sounds really scary they said no, they weren't you. as nervous about death after seeing like what the last moments leading up to it could be like <laughs> so and i mean i must say this out loud don't take dmts obviously so they've actually been used in some amazonian cultures for centuries they think they have healing properties and they use them in some rituals but there's a limited body of scientific evidence of the drugs therapeutic benefits and experts strongly discourage taking DMT in an uncontrolled setting because there's been a lot of documented cases of psychosis and even death because it's messing with your serotonin levels. Um, And so it can literally make people go insane. And so I just, I, I love in this show how all these little things that they say are set in like factual things that have happened in the real world. And it, it just, it makes it kind of, 
brilliant. So, I mean, Riley's my Riley's my MVP. I really like that he went peacefully, even though he died very tragically. He's my MVP, too. His death is devastating. But Riley is the reason that Aaron and the sheriff and Dr. Sarah are like trying to fight back against Mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. I don't think that Dr. Sarah would have taken action if Aaron hadn't gone to her. And Aaron certainly would not have gone to her if Riley hadn't sacrificed himself. Right. 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 But yeah, it was really, it's, it was a hard, that was a hard death. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I guess I'm glad it happened, you know, about halfway through the series. Cause I think it would have been harder for me <laughs> to, to get lose more Riley. Attached. Yes. Yeah. To lose him at the end like that. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I love do Riley. Find it interesting I love him. That- like the first episode of the show, you hate this guy. Like yeah. he's killed a young girl for being. See, I never did. I, I did. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, whatever they did in the writing of this, you really empathize with him yeah. very quickly yeah. on this show. And it's like, you don't even realize it. I right. feel like you, because yeah. I feel like that with Joe. Call- I felt like that with Joe Colley of like, right. he did this horrible thing to this poor little girl, but by the end, I'm like, oh no, Joe. But you're watching you know? the outside yeah. community be so horrible. horrible right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine actually was Aaron. I know Riley was sort of the impetus for everything, but she's the one that sort of puts everything into motion. Yeah, she did something with it. Yeah. She's one of the few people that just seems so normal and level headed, and she's not clouded by judgment, even with all her past trauma and what she's going through, and she just kind of takes action. And she's like, come with me or not, but this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, she's kind of take charge at that moment. I just think that I just love her. She's just, I, I relate to her just as a woman mm-hmm. and as somebody who's, you know, gone through some shit and come out on top. Well, and she's also one of the very few examples of somebody who is religious and goes to St. Patrick's, but is not is so insane. Yeah. yeah. Like, she doesn't c- become consumed. With right. It. She's not completely brainwashed into yeah. Bev and Father Paul's bullcrap. It you would know? be so easy, though, for her anger to come forward and for Definitely. her to have acted differently because sure. she figures out that the vampire blood essentially cured her of pregnancy because your body sees it as like a parasite technically, right. Or like a pathogen. And so she could have easily just went on a rampage, but instead chose to try to save everybody. Right. Yeah. 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 And be helpful, do something good. Yeah. Yeah. Which also Sheriff Hassan, he's my second, my favorite secondary. He is the other example for me of just like Aaron, right? Like he's, you know, he's not Catholic, but he is very religious and he's very devout in his own religious beliefs, but he's not so far down the rabbit hole that he's the kind of extremist that Bev is or that Sturges or that the mayor and his wife are right there. He and Aaron, I feel like are really good examples of level headed, but also still devout people. Right. And they, they, uh, this is getting forward to next episode of the show, but they die in very like sad ways, not even just like, you know, Oh, they just like died and they killed them. They die and essentially like sacrificing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And they're okay. They know that going into it and they're willing to do that for the greater good of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, it's rough. My favorite secondary character was the doctor. Sarah. I like her a lot. uh, Much what you like about Hassan is that she's level headed. She takes a scientific approach to what's happening on the Island and it's really cool when she notices that when she exposes the test tubes to or the the test tubes of blood to sun that they boil and yeah. explode. And she says, like, what's the phrase she keeps using? Fucking nuts. Right. She <laughs> says this Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis, who was a 19th century doctor, he was taken to an asylum for telling his staff to wash their hands, which, yeah. again, this guy actually did exist. He was a real person who was held as an early pioneer of antiseptic procedures. And ironically, he died 14 days after they institutionalized him for these beliefs from a gangrenous wound on his hand. Mm. Yeah. But I loved that how she's like, at first you're like, she's telling Aaron she's crazy, right? Like, let me tell you about this guy. And then you're like, oh, wait, she's seeing it too. She gets it. And these two women are like, okay, something's not right. And I, I just really like that. And she sees... She's one of those that sees this miraculous change in her mother, but knows right. it's not normal. Right. right. Like this should not be happening. Right. right. Not is, only is she healed, but she looks 50 years yeah. younger. But she like, you want to feel relieved that the mother is better, but she knows that we shouldn't. And as the viewer, you learn like 
okay, there's something really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you like her, Mindy? Most of the same reasons, for sure. Just, I loved her big speech to Aaron about being crazy. And she's like, so, you know, we're all kind of crazy here. But how she looks at this unbelievable story, right? What Aaron's saying and what she's seen. But she looks through it looks at it through a scientist eyes right she and really scientifically she can explain most of it maybe most but not all of it right there's just that one bit of non-science in there that makes it easier for others to disregard any science and to believe that it's given from god do you remember when we did the from blood and ash season i talked about renfield syndrome yes. and all the yeah. vampire diseases she actually brings up one of them in the show i, I know which one but i was like oh yeah, yeah like, how do we know about yeah. that yeah. yeah yeah everything is very scientific until she's at the easter service and the creature <laughs> yeah right well that's and what i'm saying like, that's, that's the non-science bit she was missing right, right, right. Uh, but that she had to see with her own eyes right right yeah. and yeah. she was one of those that was not going and taking communion so she mm, was right. not seeing like any health benefits for herself she was right. just watching yeah. it happen to her mother yeah she yeah. was really good i loved her a lot what about any favorite quotes did you guys pick anything out I already when it was when we talked about god's army yeah i had a couple um I thought it was very, uh, I don't know, like sat on me a little bit when Aaron was taught going through stuff from her mom and she's brings out that cross stitch and it's a, it's a passage from lamentations that says, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. And she says a lot of people cross stitch Bible verses, but my mom, my mom goes with the passage from lamentations. It's a special kind of self pity to identify with the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah, just very well said. And just like Mm -hmm. you can see, you can feel her bitterness, but without it being like, you know, I don't know. So overt. Yes. I just that that got to me. And then the other time was when Pruitt is telling um, or Pruitt or Father Paul, whatever, is telling Riley that, you know, not to feel guilt for killing someone, basically. And he's asking him, how does that feel? And first he says, disgusted. And then he says, how does that make you feel? And Riley says, angry. And Pruitt says, how does that make you feel? And he says, fucking angry. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yes, definitely. Well, but then he says, jealous. I know. Which is just so heartbreaking. Like, I wish I didn't feel guilty. I think that was his moment where he was like, okay, I've got to do something about this. Right. That was his awakening. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I have three favorite quotes. <laughs> the two of them made me laugh, and then one was just like, "Oh, buddy." So one that was not funny was Ali when he drinks the the Ugh. compound ten eighty, and he says, "I choose God," Ugh. and you're just like, "Dude, I know that you're coming from a good place, right. and but this is not this is not it." Like, and you're gonna it's do horrible. that in front of your dad. Ugh. I mean, it was so awful. I just saw it as like wanting to be wanting to belong. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like it just well, and he's also seeing, heart. you know, Lisa getting healed. Yeah. Like, of course, that's going to be. He has one person on the island telling him not to do this. Right. Yes. And right. Everybody, everybody else, else yeah. thinks right. it's a great idea. And this so. person has a different religion. Exactly. That is not performing miracles currently. Exactly. Right. 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 So, I mean, of course, he's going to choose to go with the miracle right. religion. But it was, that was just really heart wrenching. And then the ones that made me laugh. Well, I talked about this one earlier when Aaron like, shoots Bev and she's like, we got five minutes. <laughs> like, that made me laugh. The other time, I don't think it was supposed to be funny but gosh it made me laugh out loud everybody's starting to turn into vampires and then be like "Ooh, human blood and like completely lose themselves inside the church (laughs) the mayor goes to that poor girl and he goes he literally says don't be suspicious He's like he's about to like attack her. Yeah, he right. says, "Don't be suspicious." And I'm like, "Dude, that is the most suspicious thing." Right? That that anyone could say. say. It's like, do you want some candy out of the back of this white yes. van? <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Oh, that made me laugh a lot. What about any questions you guys have going into the last episode? Do you have any? Were there any? Well, I think the only one I haven't asked is why are there? Why are all the A's in the church signs? Number fours. You know what's funny? I did oh. a deep dive on that. Ooh, did you I really? Did. I did. Uh, listeners, we didn't even plan that. <laughs> we did not. Because <laughs> I had the same question. Why do they keep using fours for the letter A on the church side? And like, I know there there's a whole lot of discourse on numbers in the Bible and what they mean. And yeah. like, for instance, I know three obviously is important in the Bible when you have the Trinity and the three wise men and all that. And so I wanted to know if there was any significance to the number four in Christianity or Catholicism and how it might you know, resonate with this. 
and in my in my dealings i did find several like posts on reddit like just people asking about it and a lot of people just assume that it's just because bev is frugal since she spent all the money on the rec center which i thought was hilarious but well, i'm let's like, not forget she laundered money for the oh rec for center. sure for sure right what does joe call it like the disciples of bev or yeah something like, something like yeah. that but i i mean i'm like that can't be it this show is too cerebral yeah. and intelligent for that enough. to be it and so i was like there's got to be a deeper me- meaning so I looked into it and the number four appears over 300 times in the Bible hmm. and it appears more in Revelation than it does in any other book oh. of the Bible. Damn right. you, Mike Flanagan. You're right. 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 But it's most closely symbolic to the notion of creation, specifically the creation of the universe, because the first time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis referencing the fourth day of creation, which is when he created mm. the sun, the moon and the stars which are three things that were created to give light to the world, mm. which ends up killing the vampires. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. And then, so there, you know, there's lots of references. We've got the four seasons. We've got the four essential elements like water, earth, air, the four basic chemical elements that create other substances. There's all this stuff. <laughs> I don't know any Whitney's of this. Like, Whitney's like, wait, there's four seasons. <laughs> the four seasons was the only one I knew. Well, then there's the, the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, west. Okay. I know two. those directions. Got it. Never eat shredded wheat. That's what <laughs> no, yeah. I can never remember what order they go. These in. I think you'll be more y- attuned to. So there's, of course, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm, yes. The My four favorite. gospels of Jesus. Uh, the yes. cross has four points. Mm. the four dreams of Joseph in which an angel appears to him. And in the fourth dream, the angel instructs him to move to Nazareth. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Then in the book of Daniel, he there's prophecies that um, four beasts will appear in the Armageddon. And the identity of the fourth is unknown, but is described as being the most fearful and the most destructive it's boastful and seeking to destroy like our angel, like our angel, angel, right? Damn. So, and actually many of these prophecies, the number four is about the day of judgment and the end, which yeah. is why it also represents like physical and spiritual completeness. So I definitely feel like Bev's use of the number four could tie in with a notion of creation of new life because being born again as they do when they become vampires. Right. And also the idea of Armageddon, since this is starting to feel very, very end times. Right. Especially in the last episode. It's, we'll definitely, talk about not, it's definitely on purpose, right? It definitely yeah. on purpose. That's really, that, that's really cool, Mindy. Yeah. Thanks for looking that up. I've never thought about I'm that. I'm glad you asked that question. For going on so much in the book of Revelation. That's really yeah. interesting. You know, um, I... I think I talked about this last episode, but I was raised in a super conservative church up until like third or fourth grade. I actually went to a Pentecostal church. And again, I'm not slamming any religion. I'm just, it's not for me because it's all about hell and brimstone and, and you know, all of that. And the thing with Revelation, I don't know much about Revelation because they preach widely on that in church and it's fucking terrifying and i would have nightmares about it as a child yeah it is very, and so yeah. i i honestly don't know much about revelation because it scares me so much it's like some well, deep-seated trauma <laughs> if you try to do studies on revelation it's very difficult to do because so there's so much disagreement in yeah. the bible scholars because sure. it's so like are you going to take it literally are you going to take it metaphorically it's you know it's right. it's and even if you take it metaphorically there's so many different ways to oh take my gosh it. it's, yeah, there's so many interpretations it's a, it's a lot it's hard to understand well, well, and I think probably those people that take it metaphorically are like me, scared shitless. Right. When I take it is literally, yeah. right? it's, it's really, so yeah, when you say that it's in Revelations a lot, I honestly don't know anything about it. And, and I choose not to. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know what? Yeah. If that happens, it's going to happen anyway. So. <laughs> Not a whole lot we can do about that. That's right. Right. Did y'all have any other questions? I did. I had one deeper one and I had one just like, I thought it was a weird observation. So the weird observation, did you guys notice that in a couple of really key plot points of the show, they left doors open. So like when Joe gets killed, the door is just like wide open to father Paul's house. And he, when he, like, Joe falls and he starts attacking him and stuff, like, the door is just open. Right, that's how Riley's able to see into the rec room. The door is open. The angel comes in and leaves the door open. And Riley comes in. And I'm just like, why? Why are the, I didn't do a deep dive on it, but I'm like, why are the doors staying open in these really pivotal scenes where you don't want anybody to walk by and see this happening? You know, it's really interesting because at the, and whenever they go into the church for Jonestown time, they tell them they should not open the doors. Right. 
Right. Close the doors. Okay. I'm yeah. going to get really spooky here because in my deep dive on the number four, and I didn't mention it because it didn't kind of go, I didn't think it went with what we were talking about. Did but I make a connection? You did. <laughs> so the number four in pit, pictograph form, apparently uh, the pictograph of it is means uh, door or entry or path. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, some connection there, maybe. Maybe. I'm like, getting all creeped out. I know, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, because if you think about it, you leave the door open, and that's that's. If you leave a door open, it brings discovery. It brings right. And so, both of those moments, you've got big moments of discovery. Yeah. And well, and, and paths for people to walk. So Bev has to decide what what she's going to do. Yeah. In this moment, and then Riley has to decide what he's going to do. Well, and then you have the del- the dilapidated house we talked about last week when yeah. Bowl the, the doors open. Door. Op- yeah, the doors yeah. open, and poor Bowl goes in, and it's just like do do do. myself is talking to me. Let's see what happens. The other question I had was really about Bev because. I didn't under I didn't really catch it until watching it the second time. But you know when they realized that Riley <laughs> Riley didn't appreciate the gift of life that he was given, right? And Bev uses the fact that Riley like you know went out and killed himself, and you know who knows who he was talking to, right? And she Bev really pushes Father Paul and is like, "We need to do this now. Like yeah. we need to do this for Easter." Which I don't. I guess I didn't really realize that Father Paul that wasn't already his plan. Like it seems like Bev really pushed him into it, and then I was like, I don't really understand what specifically Bev is getting out of this. Like she's very much the right hand man. She's like, you know, protect and deflect and shield father Paul. Like I know she knows that he's father Pruitt, but she is not just like supportive and trying to protect him. She really pushes this whole thing forward. I think she's such a narcissist that, this is my own theory that she's like, I was right. Like this yeah. is the kingdom of God. And like, we're going to yeah, create maybe. this. I'm able to manipulate this higher being who is now father Pruitt into yeah. doing what I want. And I think maybe that she is just what likes it is. to have the power. Exactly. Well, Cause then especially at the, you know, episode six in the, the Jonestown service, you know, she is freaked the fuck out right like she's terrified when that creature comes in that's well, the she's first never seen it that's right? the first time she's seen yeah. that and she is scared and she doesn't want to get attacked by the people who have turned into vampires she runs away and hides and so i'm like this is what you have been pushing for this whole time so like why were you what did you think you were going to be getting from you this think you know just made that connection because maybe she thought it really was the spirit it's not oh, something not tangible, like a physical not entity a physical entity and then Maybe. she sees that i mean god i'd be freaked the fuck out if i saw that too again it's Maybe. canon that she peed her pants i i, <laughs> I mean she was wearing that i think robe. at that point she shit her we, pants. We, well she, again yeah. the robe would have been covering it <laughs> up so we don't know shit her pants she probably shit herself when she got shot so. right <laughs> i mean for real for real but um i ended up doing a little bit of a deep dive inspired by <laughs> inspired by bev because obviously she's my least favorite character <laughs> in the entire I mean, series she any, she's got to be everybody she's everybody right? everybody hates her um she's a bitch <laughs> She misuses scripture to manipulate other people. She looks down on anyone who doesn't fit what she thinks is the criteria of a good person or a good Christian. Like she's just the worst. However, I hate to admit, but the way her character is written is, is just genius. Like the whole scene where she comes in and finds Joe and doesn't ask a single question of father Paul of like, what happened? Right. What the fuck dude? You could write, I feel like you could write a dissertation on the psychology of that and like why she just jumps right in. I, I mean, it's just genius writing. She jumps right in to protect and fix. She doesn't say what happened or like, you know, the, the mayor and Sturge come in after her and they are horrified and they are like, what, what do you, what do you mean you want us to do this? They have the appropriate normal human response. And she just like, doesn't. Well, it's the same thing whenever he can't go into the sun. She's like, well, sure. Right. Yeah, that's fine. We'll just change mass to midnight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that at all. We can work with that. Yeah. She, she's horrible, but she's the perfect person for father Paul to have as his like right hand woman, right. To fix his problems and to keep this whole scheme going. And it reminded me of a cult leader, not the face of the cult, but like the right hand man that keeps the wheels turning. Right. Um, Cause that's really what Bev is. That's what she does. Watching this show, one of my big questions through this was when when does religion just turn into cult and what's mm-hmm. the difference? Right. Which is probably going to piss some people off that I just said that. And I yeah. am a spiritual person, mm-hmm. right? 
but I, I'm not real sure that we've got it right, yeah. <laughs> right, as humans. Well, like, we know we right. don't, right? Humans are going to mess it up right. no matter what. Yeah. And so, like, at what point does this this church turn into a cult? Where does it cross the line? Right. Yeah. St. Patrick's. Right. Yeah. I, when it becomes about Father Paul and the creature and <laughs> right. stops being when about When it becomes God. more about the miracles he's performing yes. instead of right. bringing, like, the word of God in. That yeah. would be my answer. Right. So Bev fits this idea that I have in my head of, like, a cult leader's helper. So I ended up doing a deep dive on the Moonies, the Unification Church, mm-hmm. which is a religion and also... A cult. Oh, well, you might be about to answer my question. <laughs> and specifically, the leader's right-hand right hand man, his wife, oh. um, Hak Jahan. So, Hak Jahan was born in Korea in 1940, 1943. I tried to find out some details and specifics about her upbringing and her life in general, but I couldn't find anything really specific that wasn't from essentially like a propaganda website. So a lot of this is kind of generic, vague information. I'm not sure what's actually true or not. What we do know is that she was born in 1943. She is was born in Korea. She went to an all-girls high school. She did not go to college. She speaks Korean, Japanese, and English. And she got married to Sun Moon in 1960. Sun Moon had founded already by 1960 what's known as the Unification Church. That was a few years prior in 1954. Hak Jahan's mother, I think, was a follower of Moon and a member of the Unification Church. And so that's how Hak Jahan got into his orbit. So when they got married in 1960, Hak Jahan was 17 and Sun Moon was 40. So let's just ponder that for a second. Ew. Age gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't she, like age gap romance. Right. She is also his second wife. He had been divorced a couple of years before he married her. That's a shocker. I know, right? So she eventually had 14 children with her husband. Damn. And 14? As 14. Oh, and my God. As that's of, a lot of babies. I know, right? As of 2011, had 38 grandchildren. Damn. So, is that it? Out of <laughs> so good for her, right? So Hak Shahan is basically like the ultimate pastor's wife. So not only was her husband the leader of their church, he was the founder of their church. And she ended up having a very vital role in both the church itself, leadership wise, and their actual theology. So in the Unification Church, it's kind of an offshoot of Christianity, but not really, because Sun Moon believed and taught that he was the second coming of Christ. He was the new Messiah. And okay. through his church, he was completing this mission that was started by Jesus. And that he and his wife, Hak Jahan, were starting a new family lineage and basically like a whole new population that was free from original sin. Which is why she had 14 kids. I mean, I guess. So... This is where Hak Jahan really comes in, right, for their theology. The church t- taught and still teaches that her marriage to Sun Moon was the start of what they call the true family, people who are free from sin, and that Moon and Hak Jahan were the true father and true mother of this new population, and that they fulfilled the prophecy of the marriage of the Lamb from the book of Revelation in the Christian Bible. Again, I don't, I don't know what that means. It's just a prophecy in the book of Revelation. There's, you know, Jesus is the lamb and the church is supposed to be his bride. And so like the marriage between the marriage of the lamb is supposed to be like Jesus being reunited with his people in the end times, Okay, gotcha. basically. So their wedding anniversary is actually celebrated as a holy day. Isn't that nice? I wish, you know, yeah. my anniversary could be a holy day. But Some whatever. people don't even like have spouses that remember their <laughs> I, know, I know, right? right? Yeah. So their uh, anniversary is celebrated within the church as a holy day called True Parents Day. Some church members. going to come up with a better. I know, oh, right? Is that like Mom's Day out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some church members believe that Hak Jahan is the perfect woman. They refer to her as the bride of Christ, which the Bible uses that phrase to describe the Christian church as a whole, not just one person, mm-hmm. but, you know. She's she's different. She's a special girly. They see her as the mother of humankind, the final chosen of God, and the perfect example of living a godly life. When she is physically present, members of the Unification Church bow to her. And if she is not present, they will bow to her picture. And they do or did the same for Sun Moon before he passed away. 
She is seen along with Moon as a new messiah. Like they are the messiah, the new messiahs. Hak Shahan is still a big face of the Unification Church, which is considered a cult by many and referred to as the Moonies. And you can do a ton of research about why people refer to it as a cult, the brainwashing that they say happens, and it's a whole, yeah, a whole thing. Yeah, can you give me a couple of examples since that was one of my questions? Well, the whole thing is believing that he is the new messiah and that you need to do everything that he says. And that's kind of what we see in all cults, right? Yeah. Like you're following yes. this leader. The leader gives themselves a godlike right. status. A charismatic, like you're, you've been doing it wrong. Follow me type of thinking. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Yeah. So she has spoken for charities like on their behalf and to charities. She has spoken with American political figures since the nineties. To date, she is listed according to Wikipedia. She is listed as either the founder or the spokesperson of more than 10 organizations that are all connected back to the unification church. She was basically the heir to being the leader of the Unification Church when Moon, uh, for when her husband died, because he was 23 years older than her, right? So everyone's like, yeah, he's going to die first. So she and one of her oldest children, if not the oldest, were basically like prepped and groomed to take over when he passed away, which he did um, in 2012. And she's still living as of today. If you do some research into all these different organizations and into Hak Shahan herself, there are a lot of ambiguities and a lot of questions and things that don't add up, like I mentioned at the beginning, because a lot of this information is coming from like her websites. So mm-hmm. it's not super reliable. Even as recently as the Trump administration, mm-hmm. her name and her organizations were hosting events that politicians such as Mike Pence and other politicians spoke at. Shocker. I know, right? She is the face or maybe the founder, but at least the face of something, a think tank, like Think Tank 2022 or something. And at one of these events, Mike Pence uh, uh, spoke at this event and said that this organization was doing all kinds of great things like for business and leadership, whatever. But then journalists were trying to do research on it and they were like, we can't even find a website that gives us information about this like what is this right like what even is this thing and it's it's probably the kind of thing where you ask a politician to give a speech and you just like give them some bullet point talking points and they don't know what they're talking about but you're a way for her to funnel money exactly exactly and they you know claim to be a christian organization so conservative christian politicians that have that as part of their platform are like oh yeah I'll, i'll talk about that and they don't know what they're talking about and it may or may not even be a real thing so some people were criticizing the way hak shahan was spending money the unification church's money some people are alleging that she was removing some of her children from leadership positions to give herself more power allegedly she has started calling herself the female jesus and oh. the the only begotten daughter of god where the bible refers to jesus as the only begotten son, son yeah. right hmm. yeah. there's a lot of fuzzy gray area with her but she was elevated to this messiah status and she is continuing to elevate herself even more and she has a lot of power with in this organization and all of the offshoot organizations that the unification church kind of like has control over. But there, there are some questions about what, it, what are you actually doing? Cause it looks like you're taking a lot of money and having a very lavish lifestyle for yourself. Yeah. What's going on here? Well, right? that's one of my questions too. So like in the, in the book of the Bible, right, we've already talked about how revelations is fucking terrifying. And one of the things that talks about at length is like an antichrist type mm-hmm. of figure, mm-hmm. which again, I don't know much about because I've, I always avoided that part of the Bible. So is that, is that what, I mean, it sounds like she is kind of this type of person. Not, I'm not saying she is. It just sounds like she. Well, that's one of the things that people will argue about. Like, what does that actually mean? Is there one antichrist that we're waiting for? Or right. are there multiple antichrists? And in other places. Is it the state of the world? I right. mean, kind of. Mm-hmm. But there are other spots in the New Testament where Paul specifically in his letters talks about the spirit of the antichrist and how like the spirit of the antichrist is already like here and it's people who like don't proclaim Jesus as like the only Messiah. Got it. So with that definition, she would be, and, and sun moon would be considered somebody or people with the spirit of the antichrist because they're claiming themselves as the messiahs Mm -hmm. and not Jesus. Right. Right. I'm interested to know, I'd love to hear from some listeners from different religious backgrounds outside of Christianity, like what, what their, 
religious views are on this type of idea. I know. So please I would say, write us and let us know. Yes, please share because we just don't know. What strikes me about Hak Jahan is without her leadership after Sun Moon died, without her keeping it all going, the Unification Church like probably would have just fallen apart, right. right? And it reminds me a lot of Bev, of I'm going to elevate myself to this position position of power. And when I see that somebody needs to step in and be more uh, forceful leader, I- I'll go ahead and do that for you, right? Because right. I'm, I'm prepared for that. And I'm a true believer. And you can trust me. And, you know, I'm going to help save everybody. Like, it's it was very similar. is cool with or helps take out anyone that's in the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the the Unification Church, the Moonies, like Sun Moon himself, it's all like a ginormous rabbit hole. So I, you know, if you have an afternoon and you want to look some stuff up, start googling. You want to know a real life Bev, which is terrifying. I know, right? It's there's an episode, um, the Netflix show I mentioned. I think it was one of my nerdiest things several weeks ago, like how to be a good cult leader or something. One of the episodes was about the Moonies and about Sun Moon. Mostly, it focused more on Sun Moon than it did on his wife. But I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out wow. there, documentaries and mm-hmm. stuff like that so no thank you i highly recommend it (laughs) as a rabbit hole (laughs) like putting that together is how bev really never trusted that riley was going to be somebody that was on their side right Uh, he hasn't even been taking the sacrament of the eucharist yeah (laughs) and so you can see where uh you know father paul is struggling like he wants so badly for everybody to want this yeah and she's pushing him towards like not everybody's gonna love this and you got to be okay with that well we're gonna make them love it yeah or we'll just get rid of them exactly or we'll kill them yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll yeah. just get rid of them yeah. so were there any other questions that you guys had no nope. is there anything you're looking forward to in the last episode i want bev to die for real me too yeah. that's exactly what i asked I'm like, i want to see like bev get her actual death ever. yeah i hope yeah. it's the worst possible death it is i definitely feel like uh, i'm I feel like you did about King Ward in the realm of Ash and shadow. Like it needs to be horrific. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be torturous. It needs to be just really, really bad. Yeah. I don't like her. I know she's horrible. Well, and what's funny is no one else likes her. Literally no one else. likes her. Right. There was one part um, when she comes, when she comes in and is like upset that Riley is upset in the rec center. And she was like, father, I'm frustrated. And he goes, I know (laughs) he's like, like so annoyed by her. That made me laugh a lot. I know. I I appreciated that a lot. Were there any other tidbits you guys wanted to? I don't have any this week. Talk about one thing that I looked up because it sounded really familiar to me. A song kept playing in the background and it was in um, the episode where Riley and Aaron are talking about death and it plays a few more times, but I looked it up and it's the hymn nearer God to thee, which is basically like, I'm facing a horrible end. We sing it a lot in Pentecost church. Yeah, like I'm mm-hmm. facing a horrible end, but I'm I'm one step closer to being in your presence, right. right? And that is allegedly the last song that was played by the band on the Titanic as it was sinking. Oh. Which I thought was an interesting... It's not really a... I mean, I guess if that's your line of thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to die and like be closer to God. But I think the point of it in this show is that yeah. like this is not about to get better. Right. Yeah. 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 Nope. For sure. I did have a couple of book recommendations that I thought of watching the show so far. Yeah. Okay, good. Please go ahead and I'll give you mine. So, uh, one of the books that I'm recommending is the girls by Emma Klein. It's real like cult cult vibes, which, you know, St. Patrick's is basically a giant cult at this point. The King of Battle and Blood, I thought of because Sturge comes in to the rec center after Riley has been turned. And he's basically like offering himself up as a vassal. Like he's cutting his own blood and giving it to them in like a chalice so that they will be satiated but not like attacking people. So the King of Battle and Blood, the vampires in those books use vassals as well that are, you know, volunteering to be fed. And then from Blood and Ash, it made me think of just because what we talked about before about Riley like he's basically one of the ascended right like he's turned against his will and he takes it into his own uh his own hands to not have to live that life right and it just made me think of from blood and ash so those are mine so one of mine is a book that actually just came out that I was lucky enough to read an arc for and it was called together we rot and it's Mm -hmm. about this boy that finds out his family is about to sacrifice him for religious reasons like he has this seed inside of him that essentially has to get planted into the next generation so that the like the land can thrive oh my so this whole thing about like we'll do anything 
right? Yeah. To, yeah. to make sure that we are prosperous, right? Which is essentially what Bev is doing here too. And then my other one would be Queen of the Damned, which is actually the second book in the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice. And the reason I recommend this book is because Queen Akasha in this series has been asleep for hundreds of years and Lestat awakens her with his music, but she does not like the state of the world and goes into this godlike frenzy and What's very interesting, and if you please, if you've watched this movie, please don't ever watch it again and just read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Because what's really interesting about the book is that she's trying to rid the world of sin and starts killing off all of the men, with the exception of those for breeding purposes. Ooh, nice. She's she's an evil little (laughs) queen. Wow. So yeah, I would recommend both of those. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, together we rot. It's brand new. It's I've been wanting to read that ever since you posted your review. Yeah, it's a it's got a very Stranger Things vibe too. With mm-hmm. like, um, it's teenagers that are trying to like help save their friend, and there's like five of them, and so it's really yeah. some good like reminds me of late '80s horror, which yeah. I really really like. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Add it's cool. it, and it's, add it to it's, the list, <laughs> and it's weird AF in a lot of places, but in a really good way. Right, like, creepy weird. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I really am going to add it to my list. <laughs> the never ending TBR. Yeah. I know after all the other things I've told you to read. Know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's it. Yeah. Except our nerdiest things. Yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs> Who wants to go first for the nerdiest thing of the week? Uh, I'll go first because mine's actually TBR related. I, for a long time, you two have been telling me to read the plated prisoner series and I've kind of put it off because there's several books in it. And it just felt very daunting to me, but Spoiler alert, we are actually going to be talking about the fifth book, which comes out on December 7th. It's called Gold. Uh, It's by Raven Kennedy. And the whole series is by Raven Kennedy. And we're super excited to talk about it. But I obviously had to get prepared, since we're going to be talking about it on the on the podcast. So I started the, the series. And it starts off pretty slow. It's a pretty slow burn. And you all kept telling me, just keep reading like we always tell mm-hmm, each other. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I've got like completely involved in it and just devoured it last week. It's, it's just, good, it's right? so, so, so good. Yeah. And I actually just finished it last night. And now I'm like dying for the next one. Right. So yeah. I'm kind of glad I waited because now I don't have to wait as long as you all did. I know, right? <laughs> but man, I'm like all in on this story. It is Yay. so cool. It's very cool. Everyone should read it. It's a Midas retelling with a twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's really know, look good. out for my review. I'm sure it'll p- be posted eventually. Uh, <laughs> that did not sound right. I'm <laughs> sure yeah. whenever Deb posts it, for the record, no. when, when there's three avid readers on a podcast, it's hard to post all, all yeah. yeah, so some of them get pushed back. There's some stuff I read in like July that we've not posted. We have like 67 reviews. Yeah, in I mean, the we're, queue. We're, we're, guys, we're way behind on posting <laughs> well, reviews. That's so okay. that it'll get posted. Books. Yeah, it'll yeah, get posted. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's a good, it's a good problem to have for sure. So yeah, I'm really excited about getting to that and uh, diving more into that realm with both of you. Cause and I want to, I want to point out, you had said about the beginning, the, the first book is very, very important, yes. but it has a lot of triggers in it. I would highly recommend reading those first. There's a lot of sexual assault in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end of book one takes a very supernatural twist that's unexpected. And then the rest of the series is a much different pace, but yes. mm-hmm. I do think it's needed. In it's that first definitely book, but it's a necessary. It's you the necessary to, world build, building. You have yeah. to have that foundation. But honestly, like if I didn't have somebody telling me you need to keep reading, I might have not finished it. To be honest yeah. with yeah. you, yeah. so yeah. definitely just keep reading. It's it's necessary, and it I promise you, it's worth it. The pays off. off. Yeah, yes. it's so good. Well, speaking of books, my nerdiest thing is also book related. So earlier this week, I went to Louder Than Life, which is a music festival here in Kentucky to see Weezer and the Foo Fighters. But you know, when you go to those shows, there's like 20 different stages and all kinds of bands and you got to kind of wait in between. And so I had a book in my bag and took a blanket and laid in the glass (laughs) grass and read. Everyone else is like drinking and smoking pot and I'm laying in the grass reading a book. It was really, really fun. And like, you know, it was nice, restful respite in between being in those big crowds and stuff so yeah, yeah this fun, is a great show fun fact i also went to louder and Lim life because i could hear it in my house <laughs> <laughs> you can hear that all the way yes. at your house that's yes. crazy yeah. wow, i mean that's i could loud. you know it wasn't obviously it wasn't the same experience well, but, but i definitely still. could hear the music i could i could hear it that's cool. crazy 
What was yours, Whitney? Well, mine's music related. So um, Blink-182 is now like together again oh. as a band. And I really love Blink-182. It really is all the small things, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to listen to them when I was <laughs> oh, in high school. My sister one year got me a Blink-182 CD like for Christmas. And my parents like threw it was away. It they confiscated it. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> was it the one with the nurse on the front? No, it wasn't that oh, one. Okay. It definitely was not that one. It was one of the other ones. But <laughs> my sister knew that I really wanted it. And my parents had been very clear that I was not allowed to have it. And she bought it for me for Christmas anyway. And I remember her being like so smug when I opened it like to my parents. Like, see, you know, <laughs> we'll I'm rebelling. To what we want right? when we Well, want. and then my parents like threw it away. But anyway, I love Blink-182. And they've released one of their new like singles, which I definitely listened to multiple times and cried last oh. night. It's very very like we're getting older and like we've been through some stuff and it took like tragedy for us to come back together and it's really it was really impactful in a way that i didn't expect it to be and then i was like wow i'm a dork but it was really the it's moral really cool. of that story is parents if you restrict your kids <laughs> and throw away their stuff it will become one of their favorite bands yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. My, husband, my husband wasn't he was also a preacher's kid and he wasn't allowed to listen to the radio growing up and then he went into radio <laughs> yeah. industry for his job his, yeah. his whole career now is yep. rebellion yeah exactly <laughs> you preacher's kids are crazy i know we're so crazy um, well, that's it for this episode. Next week, we are finishing out our discussion of Midnight Mass, talking about the final episode, episode seven, with our vampire expert, AJ Verena, will be with us. Fantastic. I cannot wait. Yeah. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Like what you heard in this episode? Follow Our Nerdiest Thing on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Our Nerdiest Thing or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Our Nerdiest Thing. We love hearing from fellow nerds. Email us at ournerdiestthing at gmail.com. Thank you.